As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host, and I'm a national staff writer at The Athletic, covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. It is Pride Month, and the NWSL is apparently celebrating that by having the undefeated Orlando Pride at the top of the table. Plus, we've got the summer series with the U.S. Women's National Team starting next week down in Texas. Now, on today's show, we've got double the full-time women's soccer reporters as Steph Young joins the show on her second day here at The Athletic. But honestly, we're just doing our usual thing, talking soccer and answering some of your questions. And speaking of Steph, this is why I always tell you how important your support of this work, this podcast, and our women's soccer coverage is. I'm so thrilled that I do not have to keep the secret anymore because also I was just honestly not the best at keeping it, but because it's it's because our women's soccer coverage has been such a success that we are able to keep building and keep growing, and it doesn't have to end here either. So as always, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to read our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer, visit theathletic.com slash full-time and start your new subscription. Just a few quick items for this week's news. On Wednesday, Houston announced Maria Sanchez will be joining the team on a short-term loan for the month of June. Sanchez will be available for three matches this month after just winning the Liga MX Feminil Championship with Tigres. And Dash have been busy this week across the board. They also picked up forward Jasmine Spencer via a trade with O.L. Reign, sending a 2022 third-round draft pick to the Pacific Northwest. Finally, all eyes were on the Lyon versus PSG match in France that was expected to act as the title decider for the league. And thanks to that nil-nil draw, PSG have inched one step closer to upending Lyon's dominant streak of 14 league titles in a row. The games on Friday, this upcoming Friday, will decide the winner, but PSG is facing a team that they are absolutely expected to beat. And when it comes to Lyon, with their participation in this summer's WICC tournament out in Portland, that means I checked in with them as part of the fixture. That's the digital show that I also host every week. So keep an eye out for videos with Katerina Macario and head coach Sonia Bompastor dropping soon, and I will definitely be retweeting them. Okay, 
So Steph Young is back now as again, as a full-time women's soccer writer here at The Athletic, and not just as someone I would pester to do this show with me and hang out on Zoom for an hour. Um, but again, like I cannot overstate how excited I am to have her on board since we were already working a bit together since she's been freelancing here longer than I've actually been around. Um, but also, you know, we're friends. So we took some of your questions this week and we attempted to answer them. Here we go. Okay, so let's start because now, as I said on Twitter, you can't escape me. You now work with me. So you're doomed to this existence forever. I mean, I almost wanted to be like, you're not, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. (laughs) That's going to be the vibe, I think. Yeah. The athletic women's soccer coverage to come. I just, what what was your day like yesterday? Um, Your first official day. It was like one million forms, <laughs> like sign up for all these things that the company uses internally for, you know, like reimbursements and travel and like some spreadsheet thing. And this is how you're going to get paid. I was like, that's important. <laughs> sign up for health care. <laughs> that is important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't terrible, though. I was like, oh, this is this is great. I love healthcare. <laughs> Click. <laughs> I will be opting into that. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So I asked folks on Twitter for some topics and questions, but I think before we get to them, I did just kind of want to go over some general reactions since we got national team roster, NWSL is NWSLing, and the Orlando Pride are at the top of the table, which is certainly a thing that everyone expected when this regular season started, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so it's it's we're recording on Wednesday, June 2nd. What is the like one thing that you are thinking about? the most when it comes to NWSL US Women's National Team right now? Um, um, I don't know. I I mean, I'm definitely thinking about Orlando Pride undefeated. <laughs> Top of the table. Alex Morgan looks good. Sid LaRue is really, you know, looks like she's in her groove. The team looks like they're having fun out there. They're at Marta's house constantly doing vegan barbecue. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> just eating hot chip and floating in the pool. Like, what a life, you know? Um, I was also thinking about Rose Lavelle playing for the rain, coming in looking okay, looking pretty good, doing a lot of Lavellian things, looking robust. I think there's a misperception of Rose because she's small, <laughs> that she's fragile. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, she did have a long injury, and... You know, she was injured a lot at Wisco as well, but it seems like she's started to get on board. It's that thing where when the college players jump to the pro game, they're like, oh, I can't just eat cheeseburgers whenever I want because I'm not 19 anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I can't run for 90 minutes. It's also not NCAA rules, blah, blah, blah. So I think Rose has taken some of that stuff to heart. She's made that jump of like nutrition, recovery and training and um, start watching for this. She is a lot more physical and robust in the tackle now as well over the past year or so, a uh, couple of years, I guess, because we didn't have soccer in 2020. Yeah. But like, if you watch, that's, she's added that dimension to our game. So she's not as fragile as you think. So I think this could be like another great year for Rose Lavelle. I, I mean, I personally am just very ready to watch the rain turn into whatever version of this team is going to be as they add some of these other players. Like, I just, I'm going to be very, in, like, 
It's yeah. one of those teams where you think like, okay, you put it all on paper and like, sure, great. But like that has happened before in this league and then it doesn't always necessarily translate. But that's not to say it, it might not happen here. Like yeah. the rain have certainly been fun in some games, right? But I am very interested to see what happens as players come in, also as some players leave, you know, like right. there's just, I find it to be a very interesting premise, but also like they have so many players coming in for just this loan period. How do you balance trying to take advantage of that right now with what's coming down the road with double expansion again, in theory for 2022? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe Farid is in win now mode. Like he's new to the league. He's, it seems like he's been struggling, whether he believes he's struggling or not is a different story, but maybe he's focusing on like, well, I'm going to have a Morrow and Lavelle midfield at some point. That's going to be sicko mode. <laughs> so yeah, you know, try not to think about 2022 focus on wins now. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be, again, I just like, it's one of those ones where I feel like a lot of us had very easy predictions after the Challenge Cup, and then all of that has gone immediately heavily (laughs) out the window as soon as the regular season started because the table does not look like what we would necessarily. And granted, it's still, you know, it's just now June. So yeah, this is something I've been talking about with some friends of mine, which is some of these teams are due for a regression to the mean. Um, One of them that we've been looking at is Gotham, where Gotham really should have a lot more goals against that, like, than they should. Like, I'm glad they don't. But like, in terms of probability, statistically right now, they feel a little like, oh, what's happening there? It really is. If I had to quantify luck, right, that's how I would quantify it. And so you're wondering, like, oh, when is the normalization game going to happen where they make up for all the... <laughs> where it's suddenly like a 6 nothing game. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like or just... a couple games in a row, they give up two or three. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, and, and Kalen Sheridan being back for this team is obviously like a huge factor in yeah. the fact that they have escaped. I mean, just some of the goals that should have been goals again. I mean, it is, it is honestly mind-boggling, I think, to watch that team and just be like, there are so many like huge <laughs> chances that don't actually turn into goals and some of it is Kalen Sheridan or you know like kind of this last ditch tackle or whatever but Mm -hmm. so much of it is just like ungodly luck like there's just no other yeah I was talking about this in multiple groups and Sophie Lawson who covers a lot of international games was watching a game and we were like it really seems like Gotham's luck has turned because it was some scramble in front of the box it might have been end of challenge cup or beginning of the season and Sophie pointed out like 2019 or 2018 sky blue that ball definitely bounces off the back of a player's back and goes in for an (laughs) own goal yeah it's just also like a terrible goal right yeah like all right so let's get to some questions we can start we've already talked about them a little bit but there's a (laughs) good question of on a scale of one to ten how great is orlando 11 12 14.4 and i mean you just talked about a regression a little bit too and like i do kind of think that orlando will probably come back down to earth at some point but you know mark skinner and all these the post-game press conferences over the past week um, as the wins started to stack up, right? Like, 
it is really interesting because also like you think about what where we were kind of last week and we were going through the like Paul Riley versus Orlando Pride like they wanted to be artists and now they don't play any football whatsoever but now we're also at the end of May start of June where Orlando Pride is undefeated top of the table and have kind of unlocked how to win games in this league. Yeah. Would you put them at a 11 out of 10? <laughs> I mean, if we're if the scale is supposed to be like their own expected performance, absolutely. If you're not measuring them relative to any other team, on the scale of what their own performance was expected to be, absolutely 11 out of 10. They're doing great. I hope it continues. I love chaos. <laughs> I also just think like the thing that I can't get over with Orlando too is it is just so good for the league if Orlando is good. Like in terms of overall narrative, but also just like from a health of the end of like, again, we want to talk about parody and all this kind of like, sure, yes, but also it is a good thing if teams that are stacked with major players are actually good. It does not hurt. I'll put it that way. Yeah. 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 So. Um, I sincerely hope also it jives. So FIFA released uh, a report on women's soccer where they kind of studied the trends and they noted some correlations. For example, teams that have higher average pay tend to do better. Stuff like that. Um, and I'm just wondering if Orlando having good facilities, good team culture, and like good pay is helpful in, as you mentioned, like as for the rest of the league to see like this is what you can achieve when you set the right conditions. So even if you're bottom of the table, any team can improve. Any team can get better. Any team can win in this league. You don't have to just languish at the bottom mm -hmm. no matter yeah. what. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've seen that turnaround for teams before in the past, right? Like there have been very quick turnarounds of like this team was underperforming one year and the next year they're suddenly fighting for a playoff spot, right? So. Mm -hmm. I mean, season one rain. Yeah, they were the big losers. The turning point was against the Boston Breakers when they finally won after like 15 <laughs> losses, 16 losses in a row. I knew and going it was in game. Boston, too. Yeah, it was a home game. And I knew in my gut, like, oh, this is going to be the one like this is the team that everyone's like, this is the easy dub. So for us, that's when their Laura Harvey like figured it out. And then for the next year, two years, it was just like they were the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. All right. I want to start us off with another question from our friend Courtney Stith, who's, who had a few questions, but this was the one that I think, when we saw it, caused the most immediate stress of pressure, um, and is honestly, I think, arguably one of the best questions that the two of us could get, which is, if you had five chickens like Crystal Dunn, what would you <laughs> name them? <laughs> And before we started recording, Steph literally sent me a photo of her little piece of paper with like chickens underlined. <laughs> As I had also on a post-it note started thinking about what I would name some chickens. Also, the entire time I've been going through this process, all I can think of is the vine of, look at all these chickens. <laughs> Which if I ever have chickens in my yard... A, that is immediately being recreated, but B, it would be literally every single day, which is yeah. because my wife doesn't know any Vine references whatsoever. That is true of my partner as well. She's <laughs> like, is that a meme? I'm like, sometimes I can get away with it and be like, no, it's a thing that I invented. <laughs> I'm just yeah. very clever. 
Yeah. Marjorie will usually look at me and be like, I know that that's clearly something that you did not come up with, but I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we want to do we want to reveal our chicken names? Do you want to go first? Just okay. just name 5. Okay. All like I did a theme of TV characters, right? And I I first was going to go all girls cuz that is kind of an unofficial rule of this household, but then I was like I would really want a chicken named David so that way I could do the Shits Creek ooh David whenever yeah. I felt like it. So David was on my list. Um I have been rewatching The Nanny, so Fran is on mine. Uh Agatha or Agatha Harkness, mm-hmm. Root, for person of interest. And then my, my big name, as we just finished our Buffy rewatch, was Faith. Yeah. Uh, I can do an okay uh, Fran Fine impression. <laughs> I think we have to say, like, I, I personally am not mentally prepared for that to happen. So no, it's, we need it's to extremely short. I can't do it, like, <laughs> she's just going, I'll miss that Sheffield. <laughs> It's not great. Say, the nanny has held up as yeah. I have been rewatching it. But like, you just have to get that kind of nasal, I'll miss that Sheffield. It actually sounds a little too much like Lois Griffin from Family Guy. So <laughs> maybe it's not as good as I thought. <laughs> we can workshop it. Okay, thanks. All right, give me your chicken names. All right. Um, I want to add the caveat here that naming things is so subjective to personality um, you can't just willy-nilly name animals ahead of time. That but is since true. that's what we've been asked to do here at Candidates. Uh, Sinclair. I'm so sorry, Christine Sinclair, but... <laughs> Maybe if it, like, it was one of the chickens that's clearly, like, the leader of all the chickens. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, Scully. I think Scully is a great name for a chicken, especially if it's, like, a red hen. Uh, Lieutenant Trouble, which is a Captain Marvel reference. Um, I've always thought it's funny to give chickens elaborate names, like they were landed gentry or something. So, like the Baroness, something like that, or like the like the Duchess, her Royal Highness of, you know, Somerville. <laughs> <laughs> it has to, the the fanciest names are always like Stowe on Kent. So I guess yes. it would be like Somerville on the Charles. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, or um, there's this series that I like called a. Uh, the Locked Tomb trilogy, and they have a character in it called the Necrolord Prime, and I think that that's a very dark and good name for a chicken, because <laughs> birds are... They're dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs. They're small dinosaurs. They have plans that we can't fathom. You know? Yeah. And then um, naming a chicken Stop Asking for the Schedule. <laughs> what is that chicken's nickname? Stop. Okay. Or stop asking. This is stop asking. And then I think it's funny that I also had faith on that. <laughs> Talk about formative influences. Like clearly we came from like the same pool and generation of like. Thank you, Eliza oh. Dushku, for that awakening. Right. Like what are these feelings? <laughs> I will say season seven of Buffy is for when Faith finally shows up. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. oh, you got your shit together. Like, right. She's at amazing. peace with herself. She yeah. went to therapy. <laughs> she at least she went to prison. <laughs> so she said she had a therapist in prison. That's true. That's true. All right. Um, <laughs> here is a question from another uh, person that we both know, and one that I'm sure you will be delighted to get. It is from Andre, uh, and it goes, "Hi, 
First time, long time, my question is for Steph. Can she talk a little bit about being such a great writer and better person? And I know what is great is that because this is coming from Andre, who also hates talking about himself, like that is the meanest possible thing he could do to you. Or I mean, really, what's great is I think in in our little group, we all hate talking about ourselves, but we like talking about other people. <laughs> for for those of you listening to this podcast, please know Steph is literally currently trying to hide under her desk uh, on the Zoom. So it's great. That was a great question from Andre that got a great response. So I'm sure we can move on. Thank you. I know Andre. that that was deliberate. I know that was deliberate, Andre. And I won't forget this. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, how about instead we could relive... The first time we actually met in person, which was when you scared the shit out of me in the <laughs> parking lot in Philadelphia before U.S. Women's National Team game. Did I physically jump on you or yeah, did you I did. just like, okay. <laughs> okay. Like I was walking in the parking lot and, and you came up from behind me and all of a sudden there was stuff. <laughs> yeah. That does fit with kind of like my personality. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> But when in person was this 2014, 2012, no, 12. So yeah. I was actually thinking about that a couple of days ago and I was like, have we known each other for almost 10 years? Yeah. Before meeting in person in 12, we like talked on Twitter a little bit. Yeah. I wonder if I could find my first tweet like at you. <laughs> we can go on a, a journey down the Twitter archives. Wow. Yeah. 10 years yeah. and know, we didn't end up hating each other. I know. And now we work together. So... Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. All right, let's go in a soccer direction. Um, this is a big, big question that I think a lot of people have been discussing, honestly, this season. But how can the NWSL remedy the refereeing situation? Because... First of all, we've already gotten like a decent number of fines <laughs> this, this year. But also like, I mean, I was even talking about this with someone, you know, having been at the the Gotham home opener, right, when Midge Purse gets kind of the collision with Jane Campbell, like I sent in, I was a full reporter for that game. I sent in questions to be like, what, <laughs> what exactly was that? Um, and can you talk through your reasoning? And then I fully expected it to go past the disciplinary committee apparently it didn't like i don't think we've gotten a disciplinary committee email since the regular season started i don't think like to like an nwsl release about yeah i guess yeah. not yeah uh, announcements have just been showing up on the site yeah 
Um, so it, it, I mean, Rory Dames obviously speaking this last weekend about the quality of the refereeing, feeling like it has taken a real step backward, right? Again, we're probably going to get an email about him being fined because that is the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my real question is, like, is there a remedy beyond spending money? And I don't know if there is. He has a point. He had a point when he was saying that PRO only cares about MLS. Um, I don't know how true that is internally, but that's certainly the feeling that I think people have, which if PRO wants to get mad about that, then they need to address like, well, why do people have this perception? And it's because of the quality of the referees in NWSL. And you can talk all you want about allocating more resources for training women. Um, but I think there's a couple of problems here. One is they need to start seeing NWSL as a comparable entity and not just a stepping stone, like a league where you go because you're not good enough for MLS. Like, um, I think we need to start seeing refs who get MLS games also refereeing in NWSL, maybe. I don't know how logistically possible that is, and I wonder if the pay also differs. I would assume. Across would the leagues, yeah. which goes to your money point. Um, but the money might be the only way to incentivize them to care about NWSL. Otherwise, how do you incentivize them? Because they're like, if they lose NWSL as a client, why should they care? Yeah, also just like, is there even an, like, if... NWSL decides to go somewhere else. Like, what is even the other option? Right. Because I don't even know what that other option would be. Does PRO effectively kind of have a little monopoly yeah. on referees for Tier 1 games in the United States? Yeah. I mean, again, like, I would never, I have never had any sort of desire to have that sort of role. Like, I think it is wildly thankless. It is also extremely public, right? You have, like, it's just, it feels like a completely thankless thing across the board. Mm-hmm. But I do think that refereeing has been one of those constant drumbeats of this league over the years, right? And I think that it had kind of improved, and now we are seeing that kind of step backward. But at this point, I think it now has also become an issue of player safety on the field, just in terms of, like, are players actually feeling safe like are the games fully under control because i think Mm -hmm. we have seen a couple of times this year where the games have not felt under control for the full 90 minutes that something could potentially happen or there could be an injury and obviously like 2021 is an important year for a lot of players too and you know we have seen already a couple of of injuries and you know Juilliard's was not necessarily like a thing that stemmed out of the referee losing control of a game, but like you just don't want that to happen. Yeah, I, NWSL has a reputation as being a league where you can f around and find out. Yeah, you know what I mean. For a reason, um, there's a, a constant cry within the fan base, and I think the players know it too. Where you can just be like, "Oh, she's not going to call that fouls called in this league. That doesn't happen." So I think yeah. the players also know like. You can kind of try and push the boundary and just see if it works or not. And if you get a little warning, like, oh, okay, I might pull back. They also don't hand out cards in this league. So maybe I'll commit two, three more fouls to keep pushing that boundary. And if she never says anything or he never says anything, then that's not my fault. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that there is kind of the specific, like, especially after that first yellow card happens, like, you kind of know that there's, like, a free pass coming on the next one almost. Yeah. Like, unless it is truly, truly questionable, like, Mm -hmm. if it is just kind of a foul with a little extra, like, you know that that's not going to get that second yellow earned. You're going to get, like, another warning, basically. So, yeah, I don't, it is really interesting just because, like, I don't know if there is some sort of easy answer right at the moment but fundamentally i think a lot of this stuff usually does come down to money (laughs) and it feels like one of those sorts of things so it's the thing where like piero doesn't care if fans complain they don't rely on fans they rely on leagues because that's who's paying them to staff their games they don't sell tickets they don't sell merchandise yeah I'm trying to now think of pro selling, <laughs> like a pro hoodie. <laughs> Just people being like, no. Um, there was a, a follow-up on this is like, what is up with the NWSL changing who scored that Orlando Pride goal? Is that normal? And I will say when I got the email from the league last night when they announced that the goal scoring had been changed from Marta to Alex Morgan, just seeing the subject line, I was like, are they taking away that goal? Because it's not even... Changing the goal score is the fact that there's still a lot of uncertainty of if that ball actually crossed <laughs> the line fully. And now we're, we're like, someone had sent me, there's fan footage from basically like mm-hmm. slightly off the angle of the corner flag. And I'm sitting there like on my phone trying to zoom in. And I'm just like, so I'm watching this like the Zapruder film. Okay. Like, <laughs> but also it's on a slight angle. So I was like, I get the argument that it didn't fully cross the line, but that video is also not a definitive look by any stretch of the imagination. Like, it's not goal line tech. We're not working with, yeah, you know? So, but, like, that isn't normal as far as I'm aware. I can't remember another time that we've gotten an an email days later after Mm -hmm. a game. I mean, I think there have been adjustments in the past to be, like, this was changed to an own goal. Yeah, I think own goal is typically the one where... yeah. Because I think in-game people are a little more willing to be like, that person scored, and then later on, whoever does the stats is like, mm, no. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I will say, this combined with all of the early disciplinary committee changes and fines, it feels a little bit like, whose line is it anyway? Where like the rules don't matter, the points are made up. This season, more than any other, it feels a little bit like, retroactively we can just go back and make this whatever we want so don't worry about it we'll fix it in post yeah you know yeah i mean but that even taking that in a slightly different direction like what is happening with the olivia moultrie case too like the fact that the judge sets this (laughs) just okay quick recap of where we're at now is the judge set uh, uh gave a temporary restraining order in favor of olivia moultrie and said okay you can you are now free to be signed and then the league emails all the teams to be like, actually, we don't have a mechanism to sign her. We're going to have to come up with something else. We'll get back to you when we get back to you. And that, to me, like, the big question for me heading into this was, okay, does the league get this TRO, look at it, and go, we need to stand down, essentially, and figure out how we address this, slash, actually just focus on getting the collective bargaining agreement done with the PA, which is going to solve every single one of these problems. Mm -hmm. And instead, they are doubling down. And that, to me, is, again, kind of a... Right. what, What are we doing? I have a lot of thoughts on the Moultrie case, like, 
at the micro and the macro level, like a lot, a lot. Um, from disagreeing with the way with some of their legal strategies on the NWSL side, but also actually on the Moultrie side as well. And when I say Moultrie, I don't mean Olivia because she's a child. And this is, you know, a case of like, I want to be like the people responsible is probably her agent and her parents. So like, I'm not ascribing uh, like legal strategy to a teen. Yeah. Yeah, she's not um, she's not handling that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Olivia is reading a brief and like highlighting it, being <laughs> yeah. like, actually, according to case law in this, blah blah blah, or like this is the str-. you know. I mean, I certainly hope she has agency in this matter. I certainly hope this isn't a case of like an overzealous agent or an overly interested father or something being like, you know what, my daughter's gonna play pro soccer. You know, yeah. Like that's all speculation, but I definitely have a lot of thoughts about. As it relates to the league and kind of talking about how this is kind of a, a an additional part of the whole, does the league know what they're doing right now kind of vibe? <laughs> yeah. Both making like really uncertain emoji faces, you know, the yeah. one that's just showing all its teeth. Yeah. It, I mean, it is just the, so I listened to a chunk of the hearing that actually happened in person. And the one part of it that is going to stick with me a while was this argument from the league of, look at all the women we have running this. We can't be sexist. Right. And I was just like, "Mm, do you really want to say that right now? (laughs) Right. That's one of the arguments where I was like, you know, that's not a great argument that just because a woman does it, that means it can't be sexist or misogynist. Yeah. Or like, just because a woman does it, it's inherently progressive. Like, you guys don't really believe that, do you? But they might. There is like this streak of like, lean in. Girl boss. Girl boss. Very like, capitalist, white feminist. um, That kind of runs through a lot of the women who tend to work in, like a lot of the white women, particularly, who tend to work not just in women's soccer, but in women's sports overall. That's very like, yeah, go girl, crash that class, that glass ceiling, um, yeah. make that money, secure the bag, and, and doing all that like, is inherently yeah. progressive. Yeah, and it's not to say like sponsorships are important, right? Because that's how women's sports survive. But also, you need to ensure that the actual soccer slash rules slash play like that part is also just you don't have the sponsorships if you don't have the other part like these two things have to happen at the same time and have to have the same level of dedication like you can get all the sponsorships you want but if the product is starting to suffer because you're spending all your time getting sponsorships like that's where my kind of overall concern is right at the moment because we're seeing it with the refs the Moultrie stuff like player safety issues both physical and emotional and and mental right like there's a lot of stuff happening and part of that can be resolved via a, C- a CBA, but part of it is also just kind of like, this is still a soccer league. <laughs> like where, what are we talking about the soccer when we're talking about the league itself? Or are we talking about, okay, we're, you know, we've got a new sponsor coming in and what can we give that sponsor? And like, you need the soccer in order to make that happen. And the soccer has to be developed. Right. <laughs> like the soccer I- has to be a, a focus too. Some of this has felt fundamentally like the league feeling like they got caught flat-footed because the rules in this league have always had a feeling of like, first of all, are there rules? (laughs) 
Um, and they'd have yep. them, you know, they have rules published on the site, but like, you know, we didn't get official rule book until I think after the season started, there yep. was like changes made to the rules and they sent them to media. I want to feel, let's say like a week or two into the regular season. And so there is a sense of like the league always playing catch up, like having to fall behind. And in this case, they kind of got exposed on not having a plan for this particular strategy, which, you know, realistically, they probably should have seen coming as the trend with more and more players skipping college to enter the league. And then you had Trinity Rodman as well as a young player. So, and then Olivia Moultrie isn't even the first sub 18 year old because it was what Ellie Carpenter who made a deal with the Thorns at 17 and then had to wait until she was 18 to play. So it's not like they're unaware that this is going to be a possibility, especially since she's been, she was 13 when they first announced that they were going to like move to Portland and train the Thorns. Yeah. So it's like at that point, you were on notice yeah. that this is something that you might have to prepare for. And then they got caught pretty flat-footed on it. And I think that this legal defense feels like them scrambling to just kind of get a potpourri of reasons and hope that the judge really likes one of them. <laughs> That's the feeling. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, like, the three arguments were this should be the CBA, even though previously it wasn't the CBA, right? It was just an NWSL rule. But suddenly, yeah. all of a sudden, they want the CBA, the second was, we can't be sexist because we're women. And then the third was, well, it's going to cost money and it might affect the owners wanting to spend money on other things. And it's just right. like, don't none of that, those feel like great ones. <laughs> don't forget that ultra mean argument from outside council where there are like her teammates on the thorns actually don't like her and don't think she can play. And I was like, how is that a relevant argument to any of your points, first of all? Yeah. And second of all, what a mean <laughs> thing to say. And honestly... It felt like in U.S. soccer when their outside council brought in that stupid argument about women shouldn't get paid as much because they don't... They can't play with the boys or whatever. Right, they can't play as well. And and it, like, that knocked over a domino that led to Carlos Cordero resigning. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a very fair point. That's the... I get the same vibe. Yeah, it is. I don't know. It's just a very interesting situation. And I think that there's... The way that I've been trying to frame that is... There's the legal element, and then there is the discussion of, like, you know, I think Olivia Moultrie herself has been very clear of, like, I'm not asking to be in the starting 11. I'm not asking, like, I want to earn a contract and then get my chance to actually earn my way from there. Right. She's asking for the contract, not for any sort of guaranteed playing time, because I think she knows she's not going to walk onto that field day one. Like, that is not... The level that she's at, but I don't is think she's even asking for development. Yeah, I don't think she's even asking for the contract either. She's asking for the opportunity to yeah. be offered a contract. Yes, yes. And if Portland or any other team doesn't think she's good enough, and as they argued in their brief, then she simply will not be on a team. Yeah, and I was like, that's pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is really interesting because I think with the equal pay thing and and also this lawsuit, like when you boil it down to the simplest kind of argument right it gets pretty clear and the equal pay stuff really is obviously way more nuanced (laughs) in any number of ways right but i mean the judge really did kind of respond to if she were if she was trying to play in mls she'd be playing right now if she were a french kid and trying to play in france she'd be you know again like again maybe not playing but she would have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to get signed to a contract and i think that when you when you do really just kind of peel back all of these layers and I truly anytime a judge 
is in court trying to ask a soccer league to explain their roster rules when they do not have soccer knowledge is guaranteed to be some level of comedy. But just even her reaction to this NWSL pushback of like saying, no, actually, we need to come up with a new rule, which is also not governed by a CBA and is going to essentially be, I would assume, an antitrust violation of its own. Again, a whole nother topic, but right. did, did not go over well, I don't think. So, you know, again, we're on kind of Olivia Moultrie Watch 2.0 at this point, basically, to see right. what happens next. But yes, even if she doesn't make it, they're setting a precedent here that is putting the league on notice like you guys need to stop being so reactionary in general and be a lot more proactive and kind of mapping out the next three to five years for this league. And I think that's kind of the ultimate takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We've got another, a big long one, which was um, my new city is supposed to get a pro women's team in 2022. They've started holding open forums. I don't have the benefit of being a longtime women's soccer fan, and I don't know what kinds of suggestions I could bring to the table, but I really want to be a part of it. I haven't made soccer friends yet, and I'd be anxious to show up to a forum by myself unless I had something worthwhile to contribute beyond. Please don't gender the cut of your kits, which, P.S., good one. Um, I know this sounds silly, and there's probably plenty of obvious suggestions I'm not thinking of, but what are a couple of things I could bring up that are often overlooked when building a women's team? I thought this was a really good and interesting question. Yeah, I think this person might be making a mistake that I initially made actually in the journalist space, which was I felt like if I was in a press conference or I got to ask a question of a player or a coach or whatever, I felt like I had to ask some kind of interesting, thought-provoking, like meaningful question. Whereas sometimes you just ask the question you want to ask or you don't ask at all. Sometimes you just show up, make your face known, let them know that you're there and you're serious so I would say don't put pressure on yourself to come up with like some amazing question that <laughs> causes them to interrogate like the paradigms around <laughs> which they structure, you know, their understanding of women, femininity, gender, athletics yeah. and our bodies. Like you don't need to do that. <laughs> Go in there, ask the question about the jerseys. That's the legitimate complaint that you have as a fan. Ask the question that resonates with you and impacts you. And I think that's what will stick with the club. Um and then just keep showing up. Consistency is often what will get a club's notice, not just showing up at one time with, you know, angry little badger face like I do and being like mind-blowing galaxy brain question, you know? Don't yeah. don't put that pressure on yourself. Yeah. No, I think just showing up is a really – I mean, I, I feel like that's both – how both of us honestly got our start is just by, like, being places on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> And people just being like, oh, you're still here, right? Like, <laughs> also, like, what are your motives? Like, I just, I think about um, Neil Morris had that big interview when Heather O'Reilly uh, retired, and he had, like, posted this whole quote that got cut where she was like, yeah, I just remember, like, showing up in Boston, and, like, Meg was just always there, and I was like, who is this kid, and what does she want, and, like, what is she doing, right? But then she was like, no, I realized that, like, she just actually gave a shit and was here to to do her thing and like you know right, right. That, that that was its own thing and yeah so i just think like a showing up and like being present and and stuff is going to pop up to you but also just you know you don't have to come in with a list of demands either i think right. you can also tell them what you think they're doing right yeah 
You don't yep. have to tell them what they're doing wrong. So show up in a non-creepy way <laughs> consistently, <laughs> right? Respect. I think what players and teams also do respect is if you have a good sense of boundaries. If it doesn't seem like you're just trying to be like peering into the locker room, like, hey, what's going on in there? You got any hot gossip? What's, you know? Yeah. What's a hot gossip? What's a 911? Tell me all the deets. <laughs> so just go in like with authenticity. Tell them the things that you truly believe, right or wrong about the club's performance, and then just build. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good one. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, here is a question that I couldn't even begin to come up with an answer for myself. But if Boston came back to the NWSL but wasn't called the Breakers, what would you name them? And I like the chicken question was very stressful. This one literally broke my brain in such a profound way. I was like, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> right. I think there's kind of a general consensus, at least among us, so consensus of two, yes. that the name Breakers has too much baggage now. Yeah. And there's too many vibes around or whatever. It, it'd be better to start fresh, particularly if there's a new ownership group. Although, I would be tickled if they were like, why don't we do an homage and call them the Boston Armada? <laughs> but I don't think people should be making giant multi-million brand decisions based on <laughs> <laughs> wanting to honor one small-time supporters group. Yeah. That was around for a few years in NWSL. Although, I, mean, I think that's a strong name. I, I think that it is... What's also interesting is trying to maybe potentially put it in conversation the way that the revs don't pretend to be... Like, you know, that they are the New England Revolution. And is there potentially opening yourself up to more supporters if you are not necessarily tied to one specific city, especially with, like, how... People do come in from, like, New Hampshire, southern Vermont, Maine. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there is a way to still be a part of that community, right? Mm -hmm. Without necessarily being, like, Boston. Especially because, like, would they even be playing in Boston? Probably not. You know, like, that's... I, I think it's, you know, looking at what Gotham did. Right? In terms of, like, trying to straddle that line of multiple places. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that if the Boston area market, whether that's actual Boston, Providence, whatever, potentially Connecticut. Connecticut has been in the mm -hmm. discussion for a while. Like, what do you actually use as a reference point? Right. Gotham is a good example of, like, invoking the feeling around a geographical area, if you're familiar with Gotham. I was kind of shocked that more people didn't know that Gotham is, like, a historical name for New York, and it's not something that DC Comics invented. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, truly the public education system has failed so many of us. <laughs> but I think that's a good point. As long as it's not called like Boston FC yeah. or like New England Soccer Club or something, be a little more inventive than that. Yeah. Although I, I did, I have made my stand for, I do support the use of SC in this country, but you have to have an actual name. Like it, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the like place plus FC or SC. Like it has right. to have a name attached. I think, like, you could also maybe potentially play with, like, 
the theme of like the Atlantic Ocean or the coast, right? Like there is a way to potentially play with something along those lines. And that would also kind of be in the theme of the breakers, right? Like that has always been a kind of ocean inspired Mm -hmm. thing. So I think if you're, if we're looking for things, maybe we could go in that direction, but it is, I, I, the stress of naming things as we have seen in this space. (laughs) Right. I'm trying to think of like similar to Gotham, are there any phrases or words that are historically associated with Boston that would make good teams? And I think the only thing I can think of is like city on a hill, yeah, which is reference to what's his name? Like the, the sermon. Yeah, like, and I was like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, not that one, not that one. <laughs> like Hill City SC. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't go in that historical direction. No, but, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Fishing fleet. <laughs> I mean, the fleet could potentially be. Yeah, that's not a. I mean, it's kind of in that same theme as the Armada, but. Right. Right, but more of an homage to like the working class, yeah. historical go, go industry. Go full on like fishing. Yeah. Like I grew up in a fishing town. Our yeah. our church was Our Lady of Good Voyage. I feel like that could potentially be, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. There's there's st- some stuff to mine there. Our Lady of-, of Good Voyage is a great name for a supporters group. Quite frankly, that is that is very true. <laughs> Especially if you have a nautical themed club, Our Lady of Good Voyage supporters. The aesthetic. <laughs> I would make some great t-shirts. <laughs> okay. This is now we're just actually this conversation is turning into us creating our own fake club that does not actually play soccer in the vein of like Asbury Park FC slash salt. Yeah. Uh yeah. yeah. It's yeah. we we potentially could have. Um <laughs> Um I I will I'll think about it because I'll be honest with you, it is something that I actually do think about from time to time. I'll just be in the kitchen and it'll hit me like out of nowhere. I'll be like, uh, names for a Boston football club. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Let's let's think of one. I, I think let's end here just because this has been kind of the big topic of the week mm. after Naomi Osaka. But there was a really good question about our take on balancing Journalist access, asking tough questions, player athlete, mental health. I think this is something that we've all been mm-hmm. discussing. Also, pros slash cons of Zoom pressers, which <laughs> I think could probably be its own 40-minute mm-hmm. podcast of the pros and cons of Zoom. But it is, I mean, I think it, I think the conversation has already kind of turned not necessarily super productive. Like I was reading an article this morning from, a dude who was just basically like, let me pretend to be a shrink for Naomi mm. Osaka and why she shouldn't be t- playing tennis if she can't handle media. And I was just like, well, this has gone in a direction that everyone should have seen coming and is already terrible. Yeah. There's a lot of bad faith engagement with what she's asking for. When I think it boils down to like, this is an additional caveat that tennis is not like soccer. Yeah. The, the media presence in tennis, I think, is pretty different to the one in women's soccer in the United States anyway. But, like, she's been in some really toxic atmospheres throughout her career, combined with, you know, increased levels of massage noir in tennis. Like, look at the way the Williams sisters are treated, Coco Goff and now Naomi. Um, so there's a lot more bad faith actors out there. And, you know, it has taken a toll on her. So what she's asking for is, like, some human consideration and for some 
some sense of like moderation and the press corps like sharpening up and you know just calling out how it's they've kind of sucked there are great tennis reporters out there yeah i follow some of them they're great tennis reporters out there but inevitably there are also really sucky ones who ask really demeaning misogynist or even just clueless questions that show they're not really engaging with the material they're just like talk about how you felt yeah yeah and I think, like, we've definitely seen that in women's soccer, too, of, like, someone sure. getting assigned to something, right? Or, like, I think about the questions that if you're in a mixed zone for U.S. national team, right? Like, I was going to, to so many games in the lead up to 2019 and going to different cities where you have different media who are just getting tossed into this without necessarily knowing anything. And it would be the same questions for the same players in every single market. And it's just, mm-hmm. like... I can see how that is not a pleasant experience by any stretch of the imagination. So in women's soccer, it's also different because there's a whole team. Yeah. And even if there's, you know, two, maybe even God forbid, three games in a week, you'll usually be rotated. Um, I think also the process that happens in NWSL is where we generally request two players after the game. And I think teams sometimes have uh, declined um, or just been like the player declined to do press and it's been fine. Yeah. I think that's kind of been the unspoken equation so far, at least as my experience being like, look, we can ask players questions in press conferences, but if they don't want to answer, that's their prerogative and like, don't be salty about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're a human being who just came out of doing a really tough job for 90 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, when we like, this is also, I think, one of the things that we're talking about from a media association point of view too, is also like going from all remote access to how do you start the hybrid process of people are going to be traveling again, right? Like, will there be in-person access for a while? Will it go fully back to all in-person? Is there still some value to being able to remotely access like post-game Zooms, right? Like how do you balance all of these different interests now? Because the Zoom world has also opened up coverage to a lot of people who like can't travel or don't have a team in their local market and want to do like there are absolutely pros to this there are also cons because zooms like especially in this kind of big world like a lot of people in this space again like we're now both full-time writers right but like other people have other roles that or jobs so are they able to be up until 1 a.m on a game on the west coast right like trying to get a question in on zoom like not everyone can do that so again it is kind of trying to work through like what is going to both ensure access get better stories because i think fundamentally stories only get better when players and people are talking face to face right and not necessarily like staring across because in some of these zooms also the players can't even see us we're just like a (laughs) voice coming out of nowhere right like So to understand that there are two people just actually trying to have a conversation and and tell a story, like that's sort of part of it too. Like I don't think anybody wants to take away access because I think press conferences can be an important part of it. But also for me, like they are not a fundamental part of my job. I don't know if that necessarily means I think that they should go away because there are they do have their own value. But in terms of where I find like the best communication happens is not necessarily in 
a press conference, and it is almost certainly not in a press conference that happens via Zoom, but every once in a while you get something that actually yeah. breaks through. I think particular to soccer, because once again, different vibe and history from tennis press, is that the press conference, particularly by Zoom, does have a democratizing effect. It's allowed more access, particularly from smaller outlets, people who can't afford to travel, can't travel, you know, um, who might have to be writing their stories entirely off of this, or they're new in the space and the press conference is actually the easiest place with the lowest barrier to entry for them to get in and be treated as an accredited writer. So I do see, think that has value as like an entry point for people who want to cover the game. And that's where you build trust. And then you can start to, you know, talk to team comms and be like, I've been in the past three press conferences. I've asked questions in good faith. You see, I'm not a creep here who's trying to get, you know, a gossip story out of a player. Can I have a one-on-one with so-and-so, mm-hmm. you know? So I think they have a lot of value there in helping to build the press pool, assuming that you're coming to the press pool and acting in good faith, Yeah, which was part of the problem with Naomi Osaka and dealing with the tennis press. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's also a difference between asking a tough question that encourages a player to consider their own performance versus like, why are you terrible on clay? <laughs> which I right. also feel like is, is happening at times. So. Right. I mean, yeah. we could have another full podcast on, like, how to frame questions to players. Yeah. To not put them immediately, like, in a negative or defensive mindset. And we would call it, like, healthy, nonviolent communication. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it's just, you know, I think Sophie Lawson had a good article that went up today about positivity in the space, right? Like, there is a need for more critical coverage and all, like, but I think that there's also a line of understanding that players are humans who their performance affects them deeply. And right. that's the, like, those things can coexist. Right. Like you talk about Bethany Balser's article where she talked about, she's having a really hard time with mental health right now because as a pro athlete, she ties her performance to her self-worth. And I think that's true of a lot of pro athletes, not just in women's soccer. So naturally when you're questioning your own performance for a lot of them, it turns into a question of their self-worth. Um, and I think there's a way for us as media to be aware of that and, but also to be able to have the space to ask players like factual, but maybe difficult questions about games and performance. Yeah. Yeah. I, either way, I don't know if we're, (laughs) we're solving this problem on this podcast, but I do think, you know, it's something that everyone is is actively trying to think about and is trying to to think about like you know even if it is just do we start talking to players about like what media access is like for them like should we be having those conversations is there a way to build like again we talk so much about like women's soccer doesn't have to like follow in the the footprint of other sports like is there a way for us to think rethink the way that a lot of this stuff works and make it better for both sides Right. I've written about this a little bit. I wrote an article for FAIR um, where it's like, is there room for this sport to grow in a holistic way where we take into account the total value of a human being as a human being and not just as a machine that outputs soccer? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Big question. Discussion will, I'm sure, still happen. But all right, let's end it there since we are... (laughs) coming up on an hour but now that again now that you are here i'm sure you will be back on the show a number of times there is no escaping 
Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the athletic. All right. As I tweeted, as I keep saying here, Steph works with me now. There's no escaping anymore. But still, we do appreciate her time all the same. And hopefully for all of you who said that she should be on the show more in that listener survey from a few months back, hopefully this is living up to the expectations. All right. One more thing between the last episode and this episode this week, my wife and I managed to watch all of Mayor of Easttown. And we, we did actually manage to get it all in until we had to wait for a couple of days for the finale. But seriously, if you have access to HBO Max, and if you haven't watched it yet, I personally just enjoyed it very much. And I will also say that now I'm rewatching Fargo season two because I love Gene Smart that much. So the time for theories might be done for Mare, but it is good TV. It trusts its audience. And in my opinion, it absolutely stuck the landing. All right. As always, the home for the show is at fulltimepod.com. You can find links to all of the major podcast platforms if you're enjoying the show. Again, your reminder, the ratings and reviews absolutely make a difference, especially on Apple. One more call. You can subscribe to The Athletic right now at theathletic.com slash full time. My name is Meg Linehan. I was joined by Steph Young. We are both full time women's soccer writers at The Athletic. You've been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and all of my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening.